0: Hello and welcome to Roses Radio, Voices Saving Lives. This podcast is presented by Roses in the Ocean, an Australian-based national not-for-profit that's been founded in order to change the way suicide is spoken about, understood and prevented. We hope that by presenting lived experience stories along with the insights and wisdom of the courageous people who share them, we will help to dispel some of the myths about suicide Improving the suicide literacy of our communities and contributing to reducing the fear, discrimination and judgement that sadly still inhibits our ability to support others and seek help. At Roses in the Ocean we believe that most suicides are preventable and we need to be able to openly speak about suicide. So please, open your hearts and minds to the possibilities that a deeper understanding of suicide can bring to saving lives.
1: welcome thank you Sandy thank you. Lovell
2: <laughs> thank
1: you that's all right thank you for being here and, and uh, being open to talk about your story
2: no problem
1: so on that why don't we go back a little bit and then, and let's sort of find out more about you as a person so why don't you tell us a little bit about you Sandy and and, uh, and who you are so we can go. We can go right back. Right back. That's a Way long time. Back. <laughs> a long time well, ago. Yeah. So, yeah. so, did you, so, are you from? Are you from where you? Are you because you're in Port Lincoln? Lincoln now?
2: Right. But no, I was originally um, Sydney, Northern Beaches. Type oh, gorgeous. Grew up there, yeah, till I was about twenty-three or four, and then I moved to the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. So most of my life's been spent the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. Right. Okay. Um, so I've got two kids there now, still and one daughter in Alice Springs. So I still go back to Sunshine Coast a fair bit. But then I virtually ventured up to Tennant Creek for a couple of years to work there in mental health. And then now I'm in Port Lincoln. So, yeah. And what was the
1: decision to go to Port Lincoln?
2: That was actually I met someone online. Yeah, I sort of didn't agree to it for a while. I was up in Tennant Creek and I decided after a few years stint up there that, yeah, if we're still sort of talking him works out I'll move to i oh, move to Port Lincoln
1: so and obviously it's
2: yeah so I live on a farm there now Wow 1700 acres I've never I don't know the arse end of a sheep to <laughs> <laughs> but I'm learning but let's
1: so let's talk about your family so you so you have three children three children. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah a boy and two girls two girls goodness yeah yeah yep. yep. so they're 26 24 and 22 yep yeah,
1: now. Yep, amazing. Yes. Yeah, so. And and so, uh, if you're okay, would you let's sort of talk about your your daughter that's mm-hmm. um, gone through the uh, suicidal
2: ideation. So she probably, when I look back now, like su- suicidal ideation was probably from age thirteen on. Yeah. Um, Probably, will still right up now maybe to the present day even. Sure. Um, although she's fine now, lives in Alice Springs, couple of kids now, so, yeah, a lot better, which is great. But um, it did go on for probably the stress of that and probably 10 years at least. Yes. Um, so we... I was like a single mother, broken um, marriage yep. type thing. So virtually it was just struggling with school. She had a very high IQ... Very, very high IQ. And, um, and then, yeah, probably from 16 onwards, there was attempts on her life and probably the last one being about age 24, something like that. Um, oh, no, probably 22 would have been the last yeah. one. That was actually when I was in Tennant Creek. Um, and, yeah, it's virtually just been a, a struggle. So many presentations to the ED department over those years, yeah, that sort of thing, cries for help. Just um, she would describe it as her brain wouldn't turn off, and she was just so tired from, you know, she virtually couldn't stop thinking, and that, and it just, yeah, she was tired from that. Wanted out. Um, there was obviously a lot of other things, you know, happen along the way. Then uh, lots of presentations to emergency department at different hospitals. Then end up getting addicted to prescription drugs, yeah. that sort of thing as well. So it was sort of a, a merry-go-round there yeah. for quite a few years. Um, but yeah, that's basically the overview. It's been a long struggle for her. Yeah, still is. She ended up getting diagnosed with borderline personality disorder Sure. Um, over those years. And then now they've actually changed that to some other diagnosis but anyway that's um it sounds
1: like that she's in a better place now though yeah definitely
2: I think it took a long time like it wasn't an instant thing um obviously presenting to emergency departments over those years wasn't really the answer I don't think it just kept um a, a circle really yeah presenting might get some sort of you know prescription drugs that sort of thing and then back out again and then it would happen again and yes, yeah, that sort of thing. so yeah. yeah.
1: Um, so can we talk about when in her early teenage years mm-hmm. and those initial kind of communication, the initial conversations that, y- that you might have had with her and, and how you think that those went?
2: Um, looking back probably in those early teenage years like 13, 14, 15, et cetera. I mean, there was signs there definitely of the suicidal ideation and that and, um, as I said, she had a very high IQ, so she was in special class at school, all that sort of thing, in high school as well, you know, um, talented kids, so-called, that sort of thing. Um, And then there was just a lot of things and then I think also mixing with the wrong crowd as she got older and that because she was always looking for something. The signs were like she was always... um, Nothing was ever enough type thing in her life, I think, because her brain would never switch off. She always felt felt like she was just searching all the time, for the next thing or the next thing, and that, and yeah, and then I think she just grew so tired of it, in her own mind, that, um, yeah, that's where the suicide um, ideation and attempts on her life. And how did sort you cope happened? with
1: this information?
2: Uh, it was very stressful because yeah. obviously on a daily basis, you're worrying, um, you know, could this be the day or can I, what if I'm not mm. around or yeah. or something like that. Um, and then as she got older, even over those, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20s, that sort of thing, there's just so many phone calls in the night like cries for help type thing and just saying, I'm so tired, Mum, I, I want out now, I'm done, Yeah, that sort of thing. And then it was a matter of... I'd either get her to get to emergency herself, or someone else would, or I would, or whatever. But yeah, it um, it was just a long, hard road, and I could see for her she didn't want to be like that at all.
1: She wanted help. Yeah, yeah. she
2: did want help, but she was just so tired of it all. Did you find it hard to get in contact with these and
1: the 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 appropriate people to talk to outside of the emergency department? I and did, and I the think. School and
2: Yeah, once she left school and things as well, then it was like trying to navigate the mental health system of what is out there and what's available to people, which, I mean, I still do that on a daily basis now with my work. And um, it still is navigating the system type thing. Yeah. But I think it is improving. Okay. I I can see now that it has improved over the years. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think back then it probably wasn't even talked about as much, even though it was not that long ago. As it is now, yeah. I'm hoping that it's getting more and more out there. Um, yeah, and people are more willing to talk about it and look at what is out there and and try and get help. Yeah, so. that's definitely yeah. important.
1: Mm. And, and how's the, um, like fast forward now to today, mm-hmm. How's the, how has yourself and your family been able to have a good conversation around mental illness and, and the suicidal ideation?
2: Yeah, I think so. Definitely. I mean, I probably talk to my daughter now like four times a day, or FaceTime with grandkids, that sort of thing. But she still struggles to this day. I've got to be honest; like, I still, I she probably always will struggle. I don't know. It's um, yeah, but yeah, definitely the suicidal ideation isn't there as much, and I'm not as worried, you know, attempts on her life, that sort of thing. But I still, yeah, I still think she does struggle. Um, But we just communicate all the time and make sure, and she does, like, she does get help too. She's got a psychologist, that sort of thing as well. Okay, In the good, mental yeah. health um, system. Um, and, yeah, I think as far as communication all round, we've tried to keep it where it is, open and honest and sort of it is out there, that this is um, struggles people can have. Yeah. And I think she talks, she wants to help people now too, so she'd really like to get into that as well because she... Understood, what that sort of mental health merry-go-round was like yeah. at that time, of but not really getting any answers or any real help. So, yeah, but I think it's definitely improving.
1: So this obviously with the uh, seeming the, the lack of support that you and your family had early on, mm-hmm. uh, even up until fairly recently, and this is what's led you to to seek out to to volunteer into give aid and support yourself is that right
2: yeah definitely um I think I was sort of a bit lost you know being a single mum and and probably didn't know the system and things very well so I ended up I became just out of interest for it wanting to know to help her mainly but and others um I became a lifeline suicide crisis person on the telephone lines so it was the first step at night yeah so that was my first step just into you know volunteering with that you know doing night shifts I think I actually really got a lot out of it because I was like, if, if I know I wanted that for my daughter, for yeah. her to have people yeah. to just talk to, first of all, yeah. you know, as well. And, you know, sometimes just family's not enough, that sort of thing. So, And then I just got so much out of that. Like, I loved it, to be honest. I just loved doing that. And then that led me to, um, yeah, go up to Tennant Creek and I was in what was called Partners in Recovery then. Okay. which was a mental health thing, um, going out to the Aboriginal communities, wow. et cetera. So I did that for a couple of years. Then I got into Port Lincoln and I was manager of the offenders Aid and Rehabilitation, so that was sort of working in mental health as well yeah, um, for the ex-prisoners, etc. And then now I'm senior practice leader of a mob called Nemai National in Port Lincoln and their mental health um, and suicide prevention, etc. crisis work as well. So it sort of flowed on from that first step of going to be a lifeline telephone What a journey. And I've just got a passion for it. And I really want to get it out now to more rural, remote areas because I think they're really struggling and, and, you know, especially talking about it and that sort of thing. And I think the only way to get it out there is to probably empower their own little communities in places like that to talk within themselves and to, you know, reach out.
1: What was the decision, what was the
2: thought to go Tennant Creek? Um, back then I think it was the kids were sort of grown up and it was at the stage, you know, should you leave them to sort of fend for themselves a (laughs) bit, you know, because they were only fairly young teenagers and that sort of thing. But they did have a father that was in Maroochdorf, so I thought, well, that'll be a good opportunity for him to connect a bit more with them as well. Yeah. and i actually applied for a job <laughs> up there as a like aboriginal support worker type thing in the beginning and i didn't really think i'd get it but i got it and i started in that and yeah i just loved it going out all the aboriginal communities and doing things out there in Tennant Creek itself and and then i volunteered oh no i didn't volunteer i did night shifts and weekend work at the mandatory drug and alcohol treatment center which then turned into a kids sniffing center etc yeah that's, et cetera. Quite, that's quite yeah yeah so So I did like the mental health work during the day, but then I also did, because I mean there wasn't much nightlife or anything in Tent Creek,
1: (laughs) (laughs) not much to do. There's a good sky, the stars are amazing out there. Yeah, that is beautiful, yes.
2: But yeah, so virtually I just, um, weekends and night times I did the mandatory alcohol and drug treatment centre. And Um, have
1: you have you seen a lot of difference in how the Aboriginal an isolated Aboriginal community deals with mental health, uh, mental illnesses, and mental health and suicidal ideation? Do you do find there's much difference?
2: Yeah, I do think there's a big difference, and I think the rates of suicide in those Aboriginal communities, and still are not. I don't mean just in the past; I mean now as well. Yeah, are just way too high. Huge. I yes. mean, it's just, you know, a daily basis type thing yep. up there. So, I mean, I think, yeah, there's much more help needed out there. And, you know, there's obviously, you know, lots of reasons. Same as everywhere, whether it be cities or that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Yes, you can definitely see a difference. But I think as if we can just get it out there to more people everywhere, it doesn't matter whether it be city Um, Aboriginal communities, country towns, farmers, Mm -hmm. you know, that sort of thing, fishermen, all thats I think it needs to be out there more with everyone because you see it's still happening way too much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And um, so how did the, the suicidal ideation for your daughter, how did that affect her school life and also the family dynamic
2: i think right back in the school life it changed things because i mean even now she'll say this she, you know she as i said was a very smart girl had so much potential but because of all this other stuff that was going on for her yes it virtually put um sort of a hold on the the education that sort of thing and then you know getting into the wrong crowds i guess that type of thing and then as she grew older and then it was prescription drugs it kept getting prescribed and that and that was a vicious circle so it did definitely affect um you know the growing up and schooling and and working and everything (laughs) from that as a young teenager and then you know into adulthood type thing and as far as family life um it definitely i mean obviously has effects on a brother and sister and things too yeah so have they been with it they've look they're they're good um, and they're supportive of, of her too now, yeah. you know, which is great and they're all fairly close now.
1: How do you feel that like your conversation has changed with your daughter now?
2: Um, well, I spoke with her even just before I came in here today Yeah. and she's so open and honest and, but yet it's not she's ashamed of it but she doesn't really want to think back to that period of her life Sure. Even though it wasn't that long ago, she's sort of right now. She's you know on the phone with her today. She's going, I, you know, oh, I don't really want to think about that, mum, or you know, and that yeah. because yeah, it's painful to her For to sure. think back that she caused pain. She thinks to the family too, things like that, of worrying constantly about her, and you know, obviously the attempts on her life and yeah. and that sort of thing. So. But I mean, as far as talking to each other, yeah, I think that's the best way. Just keep it Just talking key. about it, and it's okay. Make sure that yeah, it is okay to talk about it. And and now, as I said, she wants to help others too. So you know, I hope she does go on to do because she'd be great at it. Yeah, right. Um, you yeah. know that lived experience. Yes. Of herself. So yeah.
1: Mm. And how have you? How have you been?
2: No, good. Yeah. As I said, I'm I'm at a place now that I. Um. With her is is okay too, so that's yeah. good. So that worry is not as bad as it was over all those years. And then also, I just love being out and helping other people now that are, you know, have suicidal ideation or or mental health well being problems, anything really.
1: Is there something different that we can do? Do you think that to help with society and help with smaller communities and or even bigger communities?
2: My personal take on it is that um, things like when people are going through um, suicidal ideation, et cetera, and a lot of people might have numerous presentations to EDs and that sort of thing, I think there should be an alternative to yes. ED, which I know they are looking into at Adelaide now. They're just looking at starting on, which I think is fantastic. It is. Yeah. So um, I think having alternatives and really not so much drop-in centres, et cetera, but somewhere where people can go where there's just that um, someone willing, non-judgmental listening type thing to them. And, you know, maybe that might take months and months of that person, you know. Yeah. Going there to be heard, to be listened to with no judgement, that sort of thing. Um, And the other way, I think, is virtually, especially I look at it from the rural um, communities, is that it's so important to get out there and actually... Obviously, you can't have workers and things out there in all those communities all the time. So I think the only way about that is to empower those small communities themselves, whether that takes some training for themselves or just getting out there saying, hey, it's all right. You know, having someone go out there saying, it's all right, to talk about this, going to football clubs and pubs and sporting venues and things where they might be. But I actually think actually getting into the farmers' um you know, going out and meeting them on the farm because they're so proud and that proud people and, you know, a lot of them might not venture into town very often and they're certainly not going to go into the bigger towns where there's, you know, mental health service providers and things like that and they're just so proud and, you know, if they feel their father's coped with the farms or whatever it be, you know, in the years before they feel they should and maybe it's not going so well, might be financially or... Whether... Um, Marital split-ups or, yeah, that sort of thing. But yet they're so proud they probably feel they're failing. Mm. Um, Whereas why didn't their father fail? That sort of thing through the generations. So whether it be the local news agency or the fuel guy that delivers fuel out there or that, that's why I think just um, empowering the community, the members of the community to help each other is probably the most important and the best way to go about it. Being realistic, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What would you say to a farmer right now or someone right now? What would you say to them that was going, if they were going through a suicidal? What would you say to them right now?
2: Talk to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd say talk to me. And and just keep talking to them. <laughs> it, it wouldn't matter. Like, yeah, it might take months and months and months and yeah. be there for them. Yeah. And, um, you know, you might not be able to solve problems, et cetera. That yeah. you can listen and, um, yeah, make sure that they're heard and that they feel validated and important and, yeah, their life's worth living.
1: Do you think the conversation's getting better and improving or are we just talking more?
2: Oh, I do definitely think it is improving. Okay. I think we are. We're talking about it more, but it's also the actual getting out there and... And, you know, the people work. and making yeah, yep. the groundwork happen. So that's where I'm saying I think, um, yeah, there's no point just talking about it. We also need to get out there and make yeah alternatives for people of the needy and things like that because it's overcrowding those systems, um, the hospital beds and the ED departments and things. So if we can work another way, if that's not working so good, yeah, maybe if we look at other things, we need to have um, alternatives and, you know, it might be coffee shop or actually going out, outreach work, you know, going out and talking to people and then, you know, training everyone else in the community about it's okay to talk about it and how to help people and how to get help themselves or yeah. that sort of thing as well. So,
1: Was there anything specific that you wanted to say or is there anything specific that you wanted to broach? Because you've put a lot of thought into this as you... Um,
2: No, look, I me personally, I just want to keep going, you know, doing advocating the positive yeah, message. Yeah. That's right. Um I can say I'm very proud of my daughter. That's probably number 1. Yeah. To me. And I'm oh, very proud of yeah, so many people that I've met over the last probably 10 years um getting through those struggles and yeah and people out there that are helping others to do it as well. Yeah. So yeah, that's about it, I think.
1: So when your daughter was going through the, her early stages and of teenage years of her suicidal ideation, and then mm-hmm. you were in and out of the emergency, and you had frequent visits to the emergency department, yeah. what do you think was the catalyst, or what do you think was the pre- over, overriding, presiding factor that got her to the good stage that she's at now and breaking that cycle?
2: Persistence with probably, I mean it took a long time so I won't won't make out that that just happened and it was easy because as I said she still struggles today probably in certain ways. I think we were really lucky that they probably, oh, I'm not going to say it was probably 100% because you don't know what teenagers, what they keep from you and what they don't, but. Even you teenagers know, not gonna don't. Tell you everything, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but I'm probably, we're probably lucky that we did have fairly open communication along those years and especially, um, you know, as it went along, if, if we were very lucky, I'd say, that that communication was quite open between um, mother and daughter and, and that yeah. sort of thing, even though. There was a lot of, um, you know, ups and downs and all that sort of thing with that. Well, to be honest, I think in her mind, what helped was for so long, it was presenting at EDs, etc. And you know, they'd go, "Oh, maybe bipolar and things like this," oh, and I see. try and give. And then when they actually put a diagnosis on it, of borderline personality disorder, I think something in her was like, "Oh, I'm at least I know what I've got." Type thing. Okay, you know, I. That. You know, they've given me a name to it because I don't know what I've got. I don't even she didn't even understand herself, you know. As I said, it was just her mind wouldn't ever stop and she was just so tired out from that. And that was her words of, you know, um, she didn't want to do it anymore. Was all the time, you know, like you know, three o'clock in the morning, a phone call, I don't want to do it anymore. So do you I'm think done, it, it you gave know?
1: her something to focus on to, to help her get better?
2: I think it gave her something, it, like there might be a light at the end of the tunnel if they can, you know, because she didn't understand it herself. So if that was a diagnosis, now they've sort of said that might not be the diagnosis anyway, but it was, um, it sort of meant something to her that maybe oh, it's not just me, it might be this or it might be that and, you know, yeah, yeah. and there might be some help out there, yeah. whereas before that, because no-one understood. It was like there's no help available. You yeah. know, is she going to ever get through this or or not? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think... I, I don't... I wouldn't know if that's really the turning point. To be honest, I think now that she's just had... She's got two little kids, one and two. Um, wow. So now I think that's the turning point probably For, yeah, as well. The yeah, because of focus. Yeah, to have focus on those... You know, two children. So I think that's probably the main turning point. But I think being heard and listened to too and, yeah, along the way, it just took a long time.
1: And you being patient and persistent.
2: So, I don't really think it had anything to do with me probably. <laughs> but yeah. wow. I, it shows her strength, yeah, Yeah. you know, that she did get through it. But to be honest, there was times there where we weren't sure. It was tough. Yeah, whether she would or not. So, but, yeah. Well, she's here. And she did it, and she's yeah. here. So yeah, yeah. And you're here thing. to tell that story,
1: which mm. is which is so, amazing. Yeah. Did you, how did your relationship change with your daughter? Bef- to before she had the, side, the suicidal ideation, to when she when she when she started presenting with those.
2: Um, I think before it was that. What would you say? You know this. Perfect child, um, top of the class yeah. type thing, sweet, gorgeous, which you know she still is. But yes, it became a different roller coaster type thing. Yep. It went from that to sort of a downhill spiral, and then it even went further downhill with the addiction to prescription drugs, yeah. etc as well. So yes, it was what you think as a young child, you know, perfect life ahead, and it didn't turn out that way, you know for her. It was years of struggle, rather than that perfect life than what you, well, as a parent, you mm. thought was going to be the way it was going to go. Yeah, yeah.
1: Onto the onto the message. So, because this is something that you're promoting quite heavily, you're really into the, the smaller communities and with what you do at the moment. Is there like something that you want to say at, now uh, on this platform, regards to? putting out is this something that you want to say specifically in the message to people
2: reach out be there for your neighbor i think especially in rural communities be there for each other because you sort of all you've got is each other yeah um often in those smaller um more rural communities so it's really important that if you you know see the signs that someone's struggling just say how you're going and you know if they say fine that time ask again next time um, so just try and be there for each other.
1: Well I want to thank you so much thank Sandy you. Lovell for coming in and sharing your experience with us it's, uh, it takes a lot so I'm very grateful and I'm glad things are, are good and working out and, and are better And and, uh, and the world is grateful for the work that you do as well in the smaller communities and I'm sure there's plenty of people that are quite thankful to have you in their lives.
2: Thank
0: you very much, and thanks for having today. That's great. No
1: worries. Thank, Thank you. you.